This edition of VU History was made possible by the generosity of those at Vanderbilt Student Communications. Coming up... And they grew up, my dad, everybody grew up in an environment um, way back in Tennessee of being part of the community. An end of an era. Nashville Mayor John Cooper has announced that he will not be running for re-election. But before he goes, he has provided us in this episode of VU History with some life stories that contain heavy knowledge on succeeding in politics. From the newsroom of the Vanderbilt Hustler, this is VU History with Jalen Sims. Yeah, Mayor Cooper, I saw you in uh, Elliston Place Surf Shop in December of last year. Do you go there a lot? I do. It's one of my favorite places. The original one was a real favorite hangout of mine, so I'm grateful that it's been, um, you know, larger and next door that we still have it. Um, and the original Alliston Place Soda Shop, I, you know, not only did Al Gore announce his candidacy for president there, but, you know, Bob Dylan, Nashville Skyline, I mean, there's all these incredible photographs there over the years, so I'm glad it's preserved and continued. Is there any other restaurants on your list that you would like to eat? And to everybody, uh, Iggy's, I just took my wife for her birthday, the Iggy's, which is in WeHo, brand new. Italian neighborhood restaurant. So that is super great. We have lost a um, lot of last generation rep restaurants, but we need to really value those that are here. Sweats uh, in North Nashville, iconic, incredible. I'm so glad they've got a location at the airport too. Yeah, so you've been in the Davidson County era, Middle Tennessee era for a very long time. Sure. Your father, uh, Prentice Cooper, and your brother, Jim Cooper, they were both politics, your father serving as governor and ambassador. How has really been, how, what was it really like living in a house full of politicians? I, I've, I will say it goes further back than that. Uh, and that they grew up, my dad, everybody grew up in an environment um, way back in Tennessee of being part of the community, uh, helping shape the community. And we've all been very, blessed to have a role in each of our kind of generations. But all, all cities, all places are a work in progress. You know, you stand on the shoulders of the people before and you have a little bit of an obligation back to them. Now, I think we're becoming a better city because we've stood on a lot of shoulders that we did not really acknowledge yeah. as a city. You know, you go to North Nashville, many, many of those families built this town and in a, were unacknowledged in their importance in creating a great Nashville. And I think increasingly it's possible to be a more successful city and really a, a better city, one that is more complete of its, in its understanding of its diversity and its heritage and how you know each little thread has been important from the Methodist Publishing House to the founding of Vanderbilt. Where would we be if we didn't have Vanderbilt? Well, you wouldn't have you know, probably Fisk. And you didn't have Fisk, you wouldn't have Meharry. And where would we be without TSU following in an incredible HBCU path aside from our private schools? So each generation stands on the others, and I'm fortunate to feel like it's not just my brother or my father. My grandfather was Speaker of the Legislature back in World War I, and I'm actually descended from two of the first mayors of Nashville. Nice, that's really cool. What, you, what was your reaction when you found that out? 
Well, um, I, I, I was too young to have a reaction because it's always been part of the family fabric of get involved, contribute, try to make, uh, leave it better than you found it. You know, have the next generation be even better with more opportunity than your generation. So it, it's just part of being who you are, but it's, I think, good for everybody to have that kind of vision of themselves because it's true. It's true for you too. It's true for me. It's true for everybody watching this video. You've got an obligation to make society and the country better. It's not that it was perfect before, for sure, but you can make it better. So we're going to start in kind of this chronological order. The first thing that you really want to do before getting in public office, I do want to mention that Mayor Cooper was hired in some political affiliation at 23 years old as a chief of staff. That's a really amazing accomplishment. Do you remember kind of what that job was like? Oh, yeah, of course. It was incredible. Now, I had been the congressman's campaign manager. Mm -hmm. So that's a very good way of being chief of staff as you've also been the manager of a winning campaign. You get given the benefit of the doubt, even if you're young uh, from that previous uh, achievement. Uh, so it, it was a great introduction. Now it was a long time ago. You know, Reagan was just elected president and I was working for a democratic congressman from Louisiana. So there was the same kind of ideological pressure that to some degree I think we feel today in Tennessee. Um, but politics, I went off to business school and did other things and into business. I think politics needs to be part of everybody's life. You may not have to do it all the time, but you should be involved all the time. And politics in America is a different skill set, so campaigns are fundamental to it. The founders created electeds. One Two whole branches of the government depend on electeds. And so how does that work? How do you get involved? I don't think they envisioned it being quite as difficult as it is, um, you know, because the country was smaller. And I think they were thinking that maybe 5,000 people going to the polls and voting would, was a big deal. And that's, you know, that will barely get you elected to the council in Nashville. Yeah, it's... Um... Running campaigns seems to be your thing because in one of your elections, you ran and you received 69% of the votes, being the first mayor to be an incumbent mayor of Nashville. So what is really your trick to running campaigns? I know you've done a lot of them, but try to think hard for me on this. Well, and I know you're a communications major, and I think it speaks to that group. Um, you just have to be aware that communications is a special skill. Um, and that's a whole lot of things more than it used to be. It used to be words, right? And people got it all from newsprint and the newspaper. And then over time, it has changed. Actually, it's a private theory of mine is how politics changes for each media communications change. Going back to the change between the printing press and then the steam-powered printing press, and then advertiser-sponsored printing presses, to radio, to TV, to the internet, has a correspondingly different politics that goes with it. I think people in my era would go, oh, TV really created John F. Kennedy. He was so good on TV. And that's true. There's a whole generation that was TV-oriented. Now we're in a social media era, which I think it's unexplored what that means to the shape of politics. Certainly, it, I worry that it makes 
modern politics more negative than at any time in our history because of the algorithms underneath social media are driving the content in that direction. Um, so it's a great major that you're in. It's a great study, and but the two are very related. You know, there was a time in American politics that being on billboards was important. Well, of course, nobody thinks that that's particularly <laughs> important. The role of mail had, you know, 30, 40 years of being of super great importance, particularly in the Reagan era, the mailbox, fundraising through the mail. Now, do people even get mail? Yeah. It seems to me that you're kind of this historian almost. Yeah. When did you get interested in history? I uh, was a little bit of an escape reader when I was a child. And so I went to my local public library and read my way through all the shelves of books for biography and history. And uh, it's, just, it's just been a strong personal interest. But it, it, it becomes a good toolbox, yeah. you know, when you're trying to solve any problem is just the level of information that you know. And past is prologue, they say. So anything that's happened in the past at least gives you an insight into human nature and events. Yeah, as college students like myself like to read books, so what are some book suggestions that you would give to us? Oh, well, you know, there are, um, there are really so many. I'm a huge fan of Jill Lepore, who's a Harvard, working Harvard historian right now, and her books uh, about American history, she just has a big comprehensive one about all of the U.S. history. These, I think, are really great kind of college-level sort of texts in bringing a lot of American history up to the current moment. You're going to shift now because you're ending your term as mayor, and you've kind of announced, like, hey, guys, I'm not doing this ever again. It was a great run while it was. I like to use this example because, you know, even though the presidency and the mayoralcy are very different, Barack Obama, you know, he went into the White House with darkish brownish hair, but he came out with grayish hair. So how has really being in this seat shaped you personally and professionally? Well, one is I very much am not a career politician, that I spent my entire life being involved in politics, which I think is the right way for a republic, small r, to do that, is to have people like in my family come in in politics and go do other things and continue your connectedness with the community. I think the career politician point of view is... Um, you know, you both need the experience on one hand, and the other point, you need the independence yeah. of being able to walk away from it. And I think you do a better job if you have the independence that at any moment you've got a very fulfilling life outside of it. Now, in our, my job here, I got elected to the council. Um, it was sort of a lark. I wanted to be involved in politics. I was getting older. I had a pretty successful career. There was an opportunity to do it. But once I was on the council, uh, doing my days at Owen and in business and in finance, I became kind of obsessed with how the city operated financially and then kind of predicted the financial crisis that we were headed to in 2019. And I did sort of try not to run for mayor. I announced once that I was not going to run for mayor. And then a few months later, I couldn't take it anymore, and I ran because, as I said at the time, you know, I mean, I'm a short, older, 
white guy. <laughs> I may not be the right mayor always for Nashville, but I was going to be in 2019 because I knew a lot about the city and I was on the council and I knew enough about how to make it work. And so getting elected, didn't know about COVID, didn't know about some of the other challenges, but in terms of the dramatic change in the city since 2019. So I'm elected. The few days later, the state controller brings me into his office saying Nashville's failure to manage its budget is going to mean that the state is going to have to take over the city finances. And you are not going to like it because the city, when the state takes over, they don't do a particularly good job. They just pay the bills as they come in. They don't prioritize. They're not worried about retaining teachers by paying them more money. They just administer the city. So from the beginning, there was a pretty intense financial crisis that we weathered to today, where we went from the worst financial shape to the best financial shape in the city history. Our tax rate is the lowest of any city in the state. And we made unbelievable investments in things like education. So per pupil funding in Nashville has gone from kind of $9,500 a kid to over $16,000 a kid on our own without state help. That's the biggest change in education spending by any city ever. I mean, I challenged Dr. Battle, please, let's come up with another city that has done more. Nobody's been able to think of any other city that's even come close to that gigantic transformative change in public schools in Nashville. So we're the Athens of the South, and we're really, that's going to go all the way to pre-K. Now, if the state had helped us at all, it would be unbelievable what we would be able to fund. So Nashville has gone in the middle of the state, and the state is kind of bottom six in the country, that if Nashville were a state, we would be a top 10 state in per-pupil funding. So this is an incredible change, and that's just in education. We made the same change in public safety. We made the same change and affordable housing, there are 5,000 units of affordable housing that are going to be coming online this fiscal year. We're making the same chains with our unsheltered neighbors for the first time. We've got a big, robust plan that's rehousing over 30, maybe as many as 40 chronically homeless people every month. Well, in a year or two, you're going to work that problem to where hopefully homelessness will be a thing of the past in Nashville. Milwaukee followed a similar plan and it has been successful. So it's, we, we can be on that path. But there, there's not an area of government in Nashville that I don't think we have, we've touched them all very productively. Downtown, you've got uh, the funding through the convention center for safety. The speakers are being turned away from the street, so the noise is going to go down. We're able to regulate transportainment for the first time. Um, it's just, um, I'm very pleased. And so when I ran, it was very unusual. Um, wrote a book, 50 Things I Was Going to Do as Mayor, and we've really done the 50 things. So it's not a terrible time to leave when you can say, okay, I called my shot. And um, Nashville is going to keep going. It's not going to rely on just me to be great. It's going to rely on all of us to be great. But sometimes somebody does have to show up and fix the finances. I've been really, really dying to ask the question about what you think that the next mayor will have in store for Nashville. And so what kind of emerging technologies or trends do you believe will play a significant role in the city's future development? So cities and the dominant uh, communications, transportation technology of that era kind of shape each other. Okay. So... 
the railroad comes and you have a railroad-shaped town with railroad warehouses. In Nashville, way back, you had river barges, and so you had inventory on the river. You had a service economy with interstate highways. People came in and worked downtown and then went out to the suburbs on their interstate highways. Nashville is positioned to be the most successful city in the digital economy. So that's content creators. That's content creators being out in neighborhoods. You may come to downtown, but we're not overweighted with office space downtown necessarily. And then will people come into the office? Right now, you're, you maybe not should recruit companies. You need to recruit individuals because each individual in a way can become a company in the modern era. And you may be a small business person in Nashville, but you may be employing somebody who work, actually lives in Seattle. Right? It's a very complicated new era in doing this. So it really means that you need to have great neighborhoods that have great schools, greenways, parks, sidewalks, where you want to stay and live most of your time because you also may be sort of working there too. And that downtown becomes a center for human connection, both for tourism and for ourselves. And so with the great East Bank plan with the Dome and the new cultural center and hopefully a new TPAC comes a social connectivity space that is the modern downtown. Now, some people will be living there too. A generation ago, nobody lived in downtown Nashville. We're probably at 15 to 18,000 now, headed to 40,000 people living downtown. Young people are going to pick living downtown, and we're, the ability to create a whole lot of housing on transit corridors so that people can get to the airport, people can get around, but you're no longer constricted by the interstates going from suburbs to a downtown. That is a service economy model, and we've been, moved into a digital economy model. What has been your experience with the traffic in Nashville? Well, we were not built for all this traffic, and we were laid out without this in mind. We started as a ville, a riverfront ville that had some railroads, and if you look at the downtown, it's artificially constricted by the interstates and by the railroads and by the river. There's kind of only eight ways into downtown. You would never have designed that. But in the future of the city, I think that, that in and out may be less intense because you're already pre-located in areas on transit corridors. And then you're only going downtown for the social connection. You're not coming in and out twice a day, every day. Um, West End Avenue traffic peaked in the mid-90s. Seems terrible today. How could it have been so much worse? Well, it was, statistically. You had, Williamson County had not been built out yet. So everything was in and so much was in and out from the western suburbs into the downtown core. Now all that traffic is dispersed to lots of locations coming in and out. Used to be that I-65 was people from Nashville headed out to Williamson County. Now it's 50-50. There's as much traffic coming in as there's traffic coming out. So all this transportation thing, it's um, you need investment. We don't get that much investment anymore from the federal government or from the state, which is a big challenge to have that infrastructure need happen. But at the same time, Nashville is growing its tax base a lot more quickly than it's growing its population. That's a big opportunity. And that's how we as a city can begin to make these investments to protect our quality of life. Other cities, the tax base is shrinking, population is shrinking, that's a bad thing. Where the tax base is shrinking and the population is growing, that's a super bad thing. But if we have just a moderately increasing population and a big increase in tax base, that's your ticket to being a successful city.
How important in the seat of mayor is maintaining international relationships? And then I'm going to ask you about your trip to Irvine. Well, and they're all coming here next week to be a sister city. Um, it's a great honor to have been in Kurdistan, which is the autonomous northern region of the country of Iraq. Uh, in because the Kurdish people are America's best ally and partner, maybe anywhere in the world, but particularly in the Middle East. They would say we, we've earned that partnership, America, because of the incredible persecution and genocide that was taking place in Kurdistan. And the U.S. protected the Kurdish people, and they are forever grateful. But they don't have that much recognition around the world. Right in Turkey or Iran or in Syria, pretty hostile. Sometimes hostile. Not Turkey as an ally, but Syria and Iran, pretty hostile. So the fact that Nashville, Tennessee, which has the largest Kurdish population outside of Kurdistan, and Kurdish is an official language of of Nashville, they are so kind of thrilled to be recognized, to be understood, accepted, celebrated, and and brought to Nashville. It's a great moment of our accepting diversity, and then of this incredible partnership with this, you know, whole country. So Erbil, which is kind of the capital of Kurdistan, uh, actually in Kurdistan they don't say Erbil, they say Hala. Erbil is like a colonial name, so they don't really use it, and even though that's the name most commonly used outside of Kurdistan, but in Kurdistan it's Hala. To have them come and officially be part of a sister city's commitment to each other with cultural exchange opportunities um, for that. And it's they're thrilled and I'm thrilled it's part of the region. I do want to have a shout out to the 101st in Clarksville because if you're in Kurdistan, you say, why Nashville? And you say, well, it's also the greater Nashville area is the home of the 101st. They all are the 101st, saved my family's life. You know, it's this deep sense of gratitude and participation, which is kind of super cool that a city has a little bit of a foreign policy role. Um, and again, we're probably the only place. The U.S. can't recognize Kurdistan per se because of regional powers' concerns about recognizing Kurdistan. And they have some tensions with the rest of Iraq, to be sure. But Nashville and Erbil? We can be sister cities, and we can make progress together. A lot of individuals, if they decide to get into a career of politics, will encounter conflicts within their time of leadership. So what are some tips that you would give to some aspiring politicians to kind of work around conflicts? Well, so much of public life involves friction, and the trick is to go from friction to traction. So in any bit of traction is going to have some natural grinding of the wheels to be sure, but it's not to be consumed by friction and just let the vehicle overheat and you never go anywhere. In a perfect world, you're using that energy to propel change. And it does require a steady driver to make that happen. Because it's very easy to be tipped over into despair, negativity, or just simply friction. And a lot of that exists in the society generally. Now, I would maintain you've got more sand in the gears right now than any time in terms of just creating a level of friction, people unhappy, 
your generation has these huge challenges that nobody's being very effective about, climate change, social justice, the future of the economy, jobs. My generation, it was considerably easier. Your generation is being left with a huge debt from one generation to the next that I'm kind of expecting you to pay for my social security. That's very nice of you, thank you. But that's unfair, <laughs> you know, that is unfair. So you've got a level of friction coming up with each generation in, in society, which I just don't know that we've had that much of it to this point. Mostly American history, we've been very positive and excited about our future. Most people in the world, um, have been mostly positive, and you would think would be more positive with this incredible reduction in global poverty. I mean, it's just astounding. Nobody would have predicted it 50 years ago. You would have had such change in global poverty, but that doesn't mean that now we're a happier world, mm -hmm. but it also means that you had 8 billion people that could go to 16, and how are you gonna feed them? What's the carbon content? What are the needs of the planet? Oh my gosh, we're gonna have to work with each other, okay? Well, okay, that, that's, that is a challenge, is, oh my gosh, we're going to have to work with each other. Um, and, uh, you know, as people say, the human beings are the only things that human beings can improve, or human nature is the only thing that human beings can improve. So that's a challenge that requiring with all these people and these pressures and these big global problems, that for the first time we really do have to work together, and that's both in America and around the world. Um, I can see how people would be a little bit daunted by that, particularly if our sole form of communication is social media where the algorithm is selecting something negative to tell you. Now as you close this chapter within your life, looking back, what is some advice that you would give to your younger self? coming into man? Well, it's the same advice that I would give to you and to any younger person, which is don't be so hard on yourself. You know, don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, learn how to enjoy life. You only go once. Uh, enjoy each other. Um, it's, you sh it shouldn't really think of life as a ladder, you know, uh, it's not got to get to the next rung, and certainly in my generation had a lot of ladder thinking, but it's more of a, it's, you know, much more of a ha hike. Um, so that's, um, I've, any younger person, I think, does, is full of conflict and anguish, and you just don't have to be that hard on yourself. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mayor, for joining me today on Thank the Vanderbilt House. Congratulations to everybody at Vanderbilt. I'm so excited about the great future that Vanderbilt has with Nashville. I think they're two great partners. Both the city is doing really well, and I think the university is doing extremely well, too. And I think they reinforce each other's strengths. And the way to think about Nashville is we're a great big college town. We feel like we're kind of too big to be a college town, but yeah. the music industry helps supplement that with 11 colleges and universities and the music industry. Um, you've got the creative class that's here that the digital economy is going to make the city that they're all in very successful. Can't get enough of the Vanderbilt Hustlers VU History Podcast? Make sure to check back monthly on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Music 
for new content exploring the historical context of Vanderbilt's prestige.